Today's podcast is sponsored by Brew Stitched Fabrics, located online at brewstitched.etsy.com. Brew Stitched Fabrics offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing and quilting projects. Now carrying the all-new Ruby Star Society collections. Check out the pre-order and new arrival sections for the best selection. And use the coupon code ABBY25, that's A-B-B-Y-2-5, for 25% off fabric, notions, patterns, and gifts through July 31st, 2019. Most orders ship next day and orders over $70 ship for free in the United States. So check them out at brewstitched.etsy.com. That's B-R-E-W stitched.etsy.com. Thank you so much, Brew Stitched. And now here's the show. episode 149 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about making a living as an artist and surface pattern designer with my guest Sarah Golden. Sarah is a painter and surface pattern designer living in Sacramento, California with her husband and five-year-old twin girls. She paints abstracts, lots of plants, and is a fabric designer for Andover Fabrics. Sarah Golden, welcome. Thank you, Abby. So I know you've said that you weren't particularly artistic as a child and that you got into creating visual artwork a little bit later on in life. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Um, yeah, when I say like artistic, I think I was very creative and like imaginative play. Um, I grew up in a small town outside of Sacramento called East Nicholas, and the population at the time was like 150 people. My class, like when I graduated eighth grade, had eight people in it. So um, <laughs> as an only child in, in a small town like that where um, there's not a lot of friends nearby, um, I had a lot of time playing on my own. And so I think that really just grew my imagination, you know, my creativity. I didn't exactly know where to put it until later in life, you know, a few years ago, but I'm here now, so. (laughs) Wow, that is a really small town. I'm wondering what brought your family out there. It sounds like it must have been really rural. Yeah, my, my grandparents lived there, and like my grandfather was the sheriff out there, and my uncle was the deputy, and um, it is very rural, a lot of far- farming community. Um, my family weren't farmers, but um, that's the community. So were you living with your grandparents? Uh, for a bit, yeah. And then um, I lived with my parents out there, my mom specifically. We lived out there until I graduated high school out there, and then I moved um, to Sacramento and went to college for like five minutes. <laughs> um, and then when I was... 20, I moved to Los Angeles. I needed a 
I wanted to make a big move and San Francisco wasn't quite far enough, but it's about 90 minutes away. So I decided to move to Los Angeles. So it sounds like college just wasn't working out for you. <laughs> no. Yeah, like maybe the your learning style or whatever just didn't groove with college. Yeah, that, that's a good example. Like I wasn't a great student and I didn't enjoy it. I wasn't, I got decent grades, but it was never, I didn't enjoy studying. Um, I just, yeah, it's very frustrating. I'm, I'm much more of a um, self-learner now okay so like teaching yourself how to do things versus learning in the more conventional kind of sit down and study in school sorts of way okay so you moved to LA and um, got a job and so what kinds of things were you doing so I moved to LA because I wanted to play music and I was severely have stage fright like I was I could not sing or perform in front of anybody that I knew here, so I had to move to a new town, and that's what I was working on down there. And I worked at a record store and a coffee shop. I worked at a record store up here as well, so it was just a good um, to be around other creatives and kind of um, just discover like underground music and my style and so that was that was really that was really great and I yeah I just worked at record stores and coffee shops and then I got a job um, as a publicist a music publicist when I was about 25 in Los Angeles and that really showed me like how behind the scenes work that business works for creatives to support the creative work and so that was really eye-opening. So what exactly does a music publicist do so when a musician has a record coming out about four months ahead of time um, your publicists are reaching out to publications and trying to get them to write about it getting them interviews um, getting them on television um, you know like SNL and you know the Tonight Show all that's done by publicists and so that was that was really I learned a lot there How did you know what to do? Was there like a senior music publicist who kind of took you under their wing and showed you? Yeah, I I started out as um, just working like the office. I was answering phones and doing the more of like secretarial work. And I worked my way up and then I become a tour publicist. So I was um, doing publicity for the touring bands, you know. So if they're playing in Michigan, you know, getting... um, press for that specific town that they're all playing in and so I just kind of worked my way up and it was a room of about four of us at the time and it was we were working really great labels and indie bands and it and it was a really good really good environment so I'm imagining there are some things that you learned during that period of your life that carry forward to today and the way that you think about your work now your artwork and sort of thinking about um, how you market it and how you publicize it and wondering if there's some lessons that you still use. Yeah, it really um, made me realize that things aren't just magical. They don't just like magically happen. I mean, sometimes, of course, but there's a lot of work and a lot of um, strategy that goes into of how you're kind of crafting some opportunities for yourself or for you know your client. So for myself, it really showed me that 
you can put yourself out there. Like these people, like people need subjects to write about. You know, they're looking for that. You know, people need, you know, podcasts. <laughs> um, guests and <laughs> yes podcasters need podcast guests that's true so so yeah that that just really it informed informed me of that but it also it it took a while to take that on board it's hard to do for yourself and this is something that I've written about before but basically it's the idea of being your own agent and what I mean by that is looking at your work as mm. though you were hired to be the agent for that work. And so you think about it and say, well, how would I represent this work, this body of work? You know, how would I put it forward? Who would I market it to? How would I present it? How would I package it? Um, What kinds of um, surfaces would I want it put on? You know, how would I um, talk about it? What words would I use to talk about this work? And it's very difficult to do for yourself, but if you can't do it, it's really, really positive. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's um, it's really hard to toggle between the two, like um, within a day. Um, right now, I'm finding myself kind of rethinking how I work and my structure of like what my week looks like or even months, um, because I found myself trying to do too much of that all within one day, and I couldn't catch my like creative flow. So now it's kind of more like it's a painting day or it's a business day, and that's making it a lot easier. Oh, totally. I know a lot of people who batch their work so that they can really dive deep into one thing and spend time on on that and then go to the next thing so that they're not interrupted. Yeah, because like once you – if it's like, okay, I'm going to paint for three hours or two hours, um, the pressure – you know, if, if you're not doing anything, those 90 minutes, that feels productive. That can feel just like a waste of time or you don't enjoy yourself. And, and, and it's not. It's all very important. But even if I work a little less, if the quality of work, like work time, feels better, I usually make much better work. So I know you didn't go to art school, and as I said earlier, you consider yourself kind of a late bloomer as a visual artist, which I actually think is really comforting for a lot of us who feel sort of like if we didn't start in our 20s or get formal training, then it's too late for us and we can't become artists. Um, But to hear from somebody who, you know, began in their late 30s and is now really successful and has licensing deals and is selling original paintings, I think is really an inspiring story. Um, So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about how that journey began and how you discovered that you were an artist. Yeah, and I just, because I want to note that um, some of my favorite conversations are slightly awkward is when someone asks me like so how long have you been painting or how long have you been doing this and I tell them you know like oh three years or four years and then the look on their face like they expect you to say like 20 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so that's always and I'm wondering like what is that look like when they give you that look like what does that look actually kind of mean you know I, well, I have had a conversation, like, I just have a, um, I just recently got a studio outside of my home, and so I do open studios, like, once a month on second Saturday, and 
I had a conversation with a gal that was so interesting that she asked me how long I'd been painting. She was she was enjoying my work and she she was inquiring about a piece. And I told her the price and she said, "Well, will you accept an X number?" And it was like half the amount. And I was like, "No, this, you know, I my price is and I just restated my price and she said well how long have you been painting and I and I told her I consider myself painting for three years but that's when I started painting abstracts and and doing canvas work so that's kind of when I consider that um the beginning of when I started painting and she then asked me like where did I go to school and just basically scoffed you know at what I was asking oh my goodness yes and I was just like well I mean my answer was well they 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 sell and I mean I just I just was so curious I was my first thought was like well if I was a man I wonder if she'd be getting asking me this right conversation with me about it and I just I just found it so interesting and I just realized she was an artist herself and she's going to school and I just realized more thinking about it is it says more about her than it does me. Um, and that's because it really is about like when somebody purchases a piece of work, it's because it makes them feel a certain way. Um, it, I might help, you know, in that and they want to own, say, a piece that I did. But really, it's more about them and, and what they feel when they look at a piece and what, you know, they're going to live with it. So, yeah, it, it is interesting. Okay, so clearly you've kind of come to art making a little bit later in life, and I know that you have twin girls. Did you um, somehow discover sewing and um, surface design when you were pregnant with them? And I'm just kind of curious how it is that you came to discovering surface design, and if you would tell us that story. I... Okay, so I've always wanted to design fabric, even before I was drawing every day. Or so about 10 years ago, I did have like an Etsy shop and I was doing some drawings and making like one of a kind little brooches and and stuff. And then and then I stopped. This was like 2007 to maybe 2011. I stopped. I stopped when I got um yeah, when I, when I got pregnant, basically. And, um, but I know, that was always just a hobby. But even back then, I was like, I love textiles. I didn't sew at the time, but I loved fabrics, and I always dreamed of creating fabrics. So when I was pregnant, I decided, I was like, I'm going to teach myself to sew, because if I want to design fabrics, I want to be able to sew with those fabrics. Um, so I started off with kids' clothes, and... That was just such a, a great segue into sewing because, you know, the patterns are pretty forgiving. And, and I found a great Instagram community and a sewing community there. And so that was the, the kind of the start for me. But I wasn't um, creating work at that time. It was more just about learning how to sew. And then I had my girls and just something shifted in me. The, the plan was that I would that I would start work or start pursuing something like when they went to school so I would stay home with them 
and and then start when they went to school but but just more and more as they got a little older and by older I mean you know a few months older a year old I just I felt so creative like my brain I just needed to do something and I needed to start it now and quite frankly I was I was I just saw that there was an opportunity like I didn't want to put the pressure on myself to wait and start something when they went to school because I wanted to already have something going on to um, like a good foundation set. So for me, that was that was the big catalyst. Okay, so I can totally relate. Um, you know, that's the name of the, the podcast while she naps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was there like a specific book or like a class or a YouTube video or something that you saw or somebody else's work or something that you saw that um, had this kind of particular surface design on it and you looked at it and thought that's what I want to do I want to carve stamps and I want to do this kind of printing and you know this is like this is what I need to be working on now I'm just kind of curious of how you got introduced to surface design in particular yeah like I took a I took an online class with Jen Hewitt um, a block a block printing class. Jen Hewitt's a past guest on the Wall Street Naps podcast. She's amazing. That's that's great. Yeah. And she has an online class. Yeah. I think she's doing her last one this fall. Oh right. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah, and I was in the first one. The oh first my gosh, one, so. that's so cool. Yeah, it was in um, like January, February of two thousand fifteen. Okay. All right. And I took that class with the idea that, okay, this is something that I can do in little blocks of time um, to make some fabric and get my design um, mojo going, basically. You know, I had, my, my girls were 18 months old at the time, so I was very busy and didn't have a ton of time. And yeah, that class, it was like a, um, a an intensive like weekend class, and then it was over the course of a month. You know, so there was some accountability and some sharing your work. You're encouraged to, and it just, it just blew my mind. And I was, I just felt like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm gonna do this. <laughs> so I, I started uh, printing on fabric and in carbon blocks, and and then I started making um, zipper pouches. So I, because I needed something to make the fabric into, and the the zipper pouches were kind of my way of designing a collection so to speak and it was really all about the designs it wasn't so much about the sewing because um, I started I started selling those a bit and I just I quickly realized I did not like production sewing I liked the design aspect of it and the production sewing wasn't for me <laughs> so were you then like trying to sell yardage like printing yardage and trying to sell that or um what exactly did you end up doing with like how are you showing your work and exactly what like what did you end up doing with the the things that you were making well i just i just kept on making the bags but kind of as a way to curate a collection and my idea was the next year i was going to pitch to some fabric companies I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Bruce Stitched Fabrics. 
Brewstitched Fabrics is a one-woman shop owned and operated by Cheryl Cook, who recently quit her full-time job and moved back to her tiny hometown of Oroville, Washington to run the shop full-time. Brewstitched Fabrics specializes in fun, modern fabrics, patterns, notions, and gifts. And the shop also includes a vast selection of basics and solids. Cheryl can't resist a great quilt kit. She's developed a super simple beginner quilt tutorial with companion quilt kits, and these have become one of her best sellers. Bruce Stitched is consistently receiving five-star reviews with additional compliments on the selection and speedy delivery. Cheryl loves helping customers with fabric choices, whether it's sending pictures of companion fabrics or calculating the yardage needed. No question is too big or too small. She loves being a small business and continuing to grow while consistently providing superior products and customer service. So come check out brewstitched.etsy.com. That's B-R-E-W stitched.etsy.com and use your special discount code ABBY25, A-B-B-Y-2-5 for 25% off anything in the shop. And orders over $70 will ship for free in the United States. So don't forget to sign up for the Brew Stitched um, email newsletter as well. You'll get the latest and greatest information and inspiration. You can sign up for that in the shop. So go check them out, brewstitched.etsy.com. Thank you so much, Cheryl and Brew Stitched. And now back to my conversation with Sarah. So, okay, I see. So you always like wanted to have fabric. Yes, I did not. You cannot sell a yardage with block printed fabric. I mean, you can, but it's literally backbreaking. So that is, it's not a sustainable thing for, for me at least. Um, so it was really more for from like a surface pattern design idea, but this was a vehicle, right, for you to always to create something that you were hoping from really the very beginning could become manufactured fabric, and this would be like the the raw material. Yes, because yes, it gives you something tangible also to share. So at that point, I was really um, I kind of shifted my personal Instagram to sharing my process and sharing the finished pouches but I was printing fabric and you know um, documenting that and sharing it and that was really key for for me is sharing sharing my work okay I really want to talk about Instagram because Instagram is going to become a really important part of this story yeah <laughs> yeah. So you sh- you said you shifted your Instagram from being like a personal account to being an account that was really about your business. And I'd love if you would tell us a little bit about what that really means and what like actually how you did that. Um, 
So at that point, what was your Instagram called? Was it called Sarah Golden Art or by your name or was it called something different? No, I was going by Maker Maker back then. That was my handle. And Okay, so you had this account called Maker Maker. And like, what were the pictures that you were posting in this account um, before? I mean, before the block printing, it was literally like my garden, my chickens, and my dog and kids. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and were you like thinking about the overall aesthetic? Like what the... No. So you weren't like curating the colors and the... Absolutely not. No, it was purely like a family account. Like nobody was looking. I wasn't self-conscious at all. I wasn't... There was no strategy. It was just like, hey, look, my chickens laid some eggs, and this is what I picked from the garden. <laughs> it was different back then. <laughs> right. Like, I'm way, way back in the early yeah, days. Yeah, in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then tell us, like, take us through the process of actually how you shifted your thinking about your Instagram account, and like, was there a certain day when you decided, wait a minute, this is not what I want to be doing here? And um, and then what kinds of pictures you did start posting and kind of what effect that had on the account's growth and, and sort of how you shifted your thinking about it and, and, um, and your strategy for it and, and what that ended up leading to. The visual I knew would be important if I wanted to can like I want it to be obvious that like I take this seriously and this is what I wanted to do so I was much more strategic with that um because I think that helps you know um I I can't remember like an exact I kind of phased out the kid photos because they were still like I was still sewing and that was still part of it you know um even I if I would make but it would be more like I would make a dress that I block printed the fabric for and sewed that. So then it was like in context. So it w- it kind of, I shifted it to where it, it serves a purpose. So like each post served a purpose for reaching my goals. Because I already had like my, my goal was to be a fabric designer. So kind of everything would point to that then. Okay, I think that's such an important point is like every photo and every caption and everything that you did on Instagram had a goal that's super important so it's not that there couldn't be a kid photo but it had to be a kid photo with a kid wearing like a dress that you had sewn for example with your fabric exactly yeah okay yeah so I think that mindset shift is super important to hear about so that everything um, meets your goals for sure that's important and then it totally did work because Andover reached out to you and your goal was met. So tell us that story. Well, um, I, so I was block printing for about nine months, I'd say, and sharing all those projects. And it was October, maybe early November. Um, I still remember it so clearly. I was sitting at my desk and an email popped in and it said, you know, I think it was fabric collection, question mark, and it was from Andover, and I, I about passed out, (laughs) and yeah, um, Daryl from Andover had gotten in touch and was curious if I was interested in a fabric collection, and we set up a time to talk the next day, and 
went from there. They, they, they were interested in um, the work that I had already been doing. They wanted to do the collection from the, the designs that I'd been showing, which I think was really cool. And we ended up um, naming that first collection Maker Maker. I just think that's such a great example of not being afraid to share what you're working on and of being persistent and consistent every day and showing what you're doing and having that really um, focused, laser-focused goal in mind. And look what happens. And do you know exactly how they originally found your Instagram account? I don't know the initial, but I do know that she had been following me on Instagram for a few months and she said that and she's been following me and she liked my work and um, they had already talked about it like at a meeting and stuff so that that was pretty cool yeah that's super cool so it was really I think just the consistency of over time yeah you never know who's looking totally you never do you never know who's watching and in like over time that's the important thing yeah so yeah, I think that's really important, um, sharing over time and being consistent and persistent for sure. And how often were you actually posting back then? Like, what was your actual strategy? Oh, I, I think back then, I'm going to say twice a day. Okay. I, I, I want to go back and look. I'm curious. But I've always been a pretty much everyday poster um, at times like two or three times a day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was very regularly. I was very, very consistent. Because you can't, like, bother your followers because the algorithm, right, they're not actually seeing your posts. If you post two or three times a day, like, most likely they're not actually seeing them. So you're not overwhelming anybody. So just go ahead and post. Exactly. Yeah, do what I had. Like, if you have it to share, I I had enough photos to share. Um you, it's not about like working a certain amount of time. There's there's creative ways of, of showing what you're doing, and not even what you're doing that day, but what you want to do, like in the future, you know, or what you did three months ago. But it still serves mm-hmm. you and your goals. Yeah, totally. So that's how I think of it. I think that's really helpful. Because I think it's it's really about telling, sharing your story, telling your story. And you can get caught up in that, and that can go negative, but it also can go really positive. I think it just depends on how you look at it and, like, your personality type, you know. I'm really encouraged by social media. I don't get, personally, I don't get bummed out by it. I, I just try to share, I just want to document my work. For, and if you think about it, just for yourself, like, I love having my journey pretty well documented up until this point, you know, yeah, it's social media, but I have all these photographs and and it it really does show like where I've come from and, and I enjoy that. And I and I hope others see that and I think that they've responded to that as well. And just as a you know, an observer, I really loved watching you you recently moved from your garage studio, which was attached to your home, to an outside studio which is a little ways away from your house, a studio that you're renting. 
And you documented this um, in your Instagram stories, and it's just so relatable. And I absolutely loved watching it. You showed, you know, like the first day that you got the keys and you opened up the door and you see like the skylight and this empty room with this sort of paint splattered floor and um, nothing inside. And then you start moving in and you move all your stuff up there and everything's kind of in boxes and in piles and you're not really sure where everything belongs yet and you kind of arrange everything and put the plants in the corner and um, hang some stuff on the walls and get your storage set up and then you're like not sure that that's actually where everything goes and you rearrange stuff and um, and it's just so relatable you know to having this new space and this new creative you know potential Um, and then kind of it also being sort of pristine and a little bit scary and anyway you get it all like arranged again and hang up you know your canvases and then that pressure you know to create like the first painting in the new space and it one you know really wanting it to be good and um, and and then you kind of you know break that seal and are able to kind of paint and relax and there you are like sitting and and chilled out at your desk there and um, I just from, you know, just as an observer, really loved watching that and um, and seeing you go through it. And um, anyway, I just think that, you know, it is really nice to have it all documented for yourself, but also for all of us out here watching. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I think that's just even hearing you talk about that. I was like, oh, it, it brought me back, you know, because <laughs> I've been in there a few months now and you're so right that like, that initial making work in a new space is it's like oh I want to enjoy this but don't put too much pressure but I want this piece to be awesome and you're getting used to your I worked at home for a lot of years you know and to be somewhere where I'm actually talking to people and that's a whole shift you know it's a big shift it's been it's been really good for me um yeah, I'd love to talk to about that a little bit. So I know that you um, had this garage studio um, along with your husband, and you had that for a long while in the beginning when you were f- sort of first launching yourself as an artist. And I'd love if you would talk a little bit about what that meant yes. for you, um, you know, as far as sort of taking yourself seriously and really being able to make work. Um, in the beginning of your career and then what led to this decision to um, to actually rent some space because that's a pretty significant decision to rent space outside of your home um, for a studio yeah Um, so yeah we, we converted our single car garage into a finished space and at the time my husband and I we split it we split the it half of it was his studio his recording music studio and the other half was mine and we're literally talking like you know I had like 80 80 square feet I don't even maybe not even that much and this was um this was just a couple this was about a month or two just right before um I took the block printing class so for me it was my sewing area because that was something I was previously doing just on the dining room table and as everybody knows how hard it is <laughs> with small kids that are just mobile and having having to clean up after the fact so the magic of being able to leave a project midway through and then jump back to it when you have 10 minutes and you know those stolen moments are 
wow, it's incredible how much that time can really add up and it keeps you, keeps you motivated. Um, and being able to close the door to that, you know, is, is fantastic. So honestly, I think having the studio, like my own dedicated space is probably one of the most important things that, that helped me start my career, I would say. Yeah, I um, renovated the room that I'm in right now a while ago, and I got a door. The door. And. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like my favorite feature of the room, this room. I just, I love my door. I just love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, too. And my floor, since this is the, the garage, like, it's on a different level. It's on a concrete slab. You know, we put down hardwood floor and stuff, but, um. I don't hear the the house, you know, the the house sounds like the floor doesn't carry through as much and vice versa, you know, like I could have my sewing machine going and everything. I didn't have to worry about that, you know, because before I was sewing like right outside of their bedroom, bedroom door. And I was like, this isn't going to work anymore, you know? (laughs) So yeah. And it's a mental thing too, you know, it's, it's, it, you take yourself, I think, um, just having a dedicated space wherever that is you know it's just it's it's important okay so then what led this, to this decision to actually um rent some studio space outside of your home because that's actually a huge commitment i would say that and taking on yeah. employees are the two huge commitments that you can really make and because you know you are committing to paying rent even if you're you know mm-hmm in a place where the rent isn't super high or whatever, but you're still committing to that, you know, ongoing payment and maybe a lease or whatever on a monthly basis. And it can be pretty scary. Plus you have to get there by bike or, you know, it's not right right there at your fingertips. So what led to this decision to, to move out? Well, for me, the biggest thing was honestly, I just, I work big and I like to, I do work small as well, but I like to work on so many paintings all at once. And I felt like I spent more time rearranging things so that I could do more work that I just outgrown the space. Um, and I really did want to hire some help. Like, and if that was going to happen, I, I didn't know that it could happen in my house wanted it to be elsewhere so those were the kind of the two big things for me to grow my business um I had a a couple years ago we had so I was sharing this studio this home studio I'm sitting in here right now with my husband and then a couple years ago I want to say three years ago even two years ago we I took over the whole studio in here and we built him a um, music studio in our backyard so I have this space and this space is like 170 square feet. And my studio, my new studio is, is actually, it's about the same size. But it's just that I can split it. So that's become like my painting studio. And this is, I'm setting it up more as like my surface pattern design office space. So I can do all my computer work here. And I think splitting up those things is actually has been helpful so when I go to my studio it's less distractions and I'm there to work it's been it's 
it's challenging though. Like I ride my bike and, you know, just even like, for instance, like right now, I'm like, I need to get these big shipping mailers to my studio. And I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> Can I strap all these on my back? Like, um, <laughs> and, and doing the shipping and stuff. So it's, it, there is, cause I've taken for granted that. And when you do have all your supplies at home, it's like figuring out what do you have to have double of and what, how can you make it so it's convenient and not totally inconvenient? It's, that's been kind of rough. You know, I think at, at first I moved over everything over to my new studio, thinking that I could do everything there. And that was kind of like, I realized I basically just created the same um, problems that I was having here with the lack of space, you know? So I was like, wait a second. Okay. I've got to clear this out. This needs to be where I can come and just try to really keep it more to art making and less of the business stuff. You know, I do my shipping over there and that does take up a lot of kind of space and time, but I do have some storage, um, down in the basement, which has been great. So I can kind of clear my room out a bit and, and do that. But man, those logistics of, if that is tough, it's like, it's growing pains. Mm, yeah, I could, you know? I can imagine that sounds really hard. Yeah. Okay. And you said that you were interested in doing some hiring in order to help you to grow your business. And I'm curious, yeah. um, uh, who you like, what kind of roles you might be hiring for and, um, and how that's been going, because I think that's the other big thing that people really struggle with. And, um, I'm curious what your yeah. solution is. Yeah. So I'm starting out kind of small. I have a friend who's coming in like once or twice a week and she's doing maybe like five to eight hours a week. And so, so far it's been, um, shipping. So like shipping all my prints and packaging up some paintings and, um, doing like wholesale if I've been trying to like grow my wholesale side for my prints and like researching new shops and um just kind of doing all those things that I wish I had time to and I've been meaning to but that I haven't because I want to be painting you know or I'm just being so reactive to the other things that must happen that I haven't been able to set aside that time to do so this has been about a month, it's been about a month and it's been really amazing. I mean, I've been freaked out. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's been like, like, that's like a, like, oh goodness, but it's not like a full-time position. Like someone's whole livelihood isn't reliant on me. So I think it's a good baby step of getting used to that because it's made me realize like, I, I need to hire somebody so I can they can help organize me and be more organized. And, but then I, in a turn, have to be organized in order to get that help. You know, um, training somebody, it takes, like you realize, like you have to have all these like processes like documented and and it's it's a lot, you know, but it's it's good, you know, it's a, it's a good thing, but yeah. But I have been freaked out. I'm going to be honest with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good for you and it's good for your business to put those systems in place. But then knowing that you have to pay this person every single time, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. 
So I'm curious exactly what you send Andover because obviously you are, um, you know, hand printing these um, surface patterns. And I'm wondering if you're then doing, you know, scanning them and making the repeats and are sending them a digital file or if you're actually just, you know, sending them physical swatches and their in-house artists are making the repeats or exactly like what it is that you're sending to them. Because I think, you know, that piece of the process for a lot of people kind of remains mysterious and knowing what um, what a company like Andover requires is kind of enlightening. So I wondered if you would share like what it is, what it is that you are actually giving to them. Yeah. Um, either one would, would have worked. Like I'm, they're completely capable of, um, scanning and stuff and creating the repeats. But for me, like in order to, I wanted to do it myself because then at least I have the file and I can then license it elsewhere, but I'll get, I can, we can talk about that after, but the, the doing the repeats and whatnot. So I, block printed onto paper and there's there's many ways you can do this but this is just how I did it I block printed onto like kind of heavier paper and which is much different than block printing on fabric um but fabric all I'm really trying to get is that inky part of the impression you know into the computer I scanned it in like 600 dpi or 12 i usually go high like 1200 dpi and then that because that will really affect how large you can blow something up when you print it so the more high res you can go from the beginning the better so i would print on like white paper scan them in at like 1200 dpi and then i use photoshop i i don't use illustrator um but in photoshop you remove the background there's like many ways you can do this but I use like um, a loading selection where you just can remove all the white because I, I I'll just print in black ink on white paper so it's the easiest because then you can change the colors um, later on and and then from those so you have like a transparent um, file of your artwork um, and I just create the repeat from there and these were simple these are simple repeats nothing's overlapping there wasn't I'm trying to think like there, there it it was pretty simple so it wasn't um, too complex um, so I recreated I created the repeats and then worked on the colors um, to pitch them and we we knew from the beginning that we were going to print these on linen cotton blend so that was really helpful so I had that kind of um, that natural oatmeal color fabric in mind when I was creating these. So a lot of them are just the black ink on that. And I think it really kind of lets the, the linen cotton shine. So I sent them the digital files of those, but I also printed out a, a bunch. And so it was important on my end when you're working with a manufacturer, um, a lot of times when you're sending stuff digitally, you don't have something tangible in your hand as a color, um, kind of something to check back to. 
So they're always like, you know, you can send us a scrap of fabric or a scrap of paint or anything to be like, this is the mustard yellow that I want to match it to. So, cause that's always a, the bit of the hard thing. Um, so personally, I printed out like three colorways of each one and kind of tried to get the, the tones as close as I could. And then I sent those to them along with the digital files. Um, and then they get them and they put them into their big repeats and has the mill do strike offs. And those are just like maybe like a half yard of fabric that we get back. Um, just to check the colors and the registration um, in the fabric. And they usually cut off a piece of each of those and they'll overnight those to me. And then I get to look through them and make notes. And we have kind of a, like a phone conversation about it, um, talking about the colors and how they play with each other and the um, even the, the base fabric. And then that's kind of, that's when we finish up there and then they go into um, production with it. Okay, and then your contract basically spells out that those um, patterns can be used for other things besides fabric. Um, so, you know, they have, Andover has the rights to use those um, patterns on fabric, but you could use them elsewhere. Yeah, it's for, specifically, it's for bolt fabric. Okay. So for fabric sold in bolts. Right. But you could then go, for example, to Surtax or to another trade show like that and license exactly those same designs for tabletop or for shower curtains, for linens, for um, umbrellas, for, you know, all kinds of other things if you wanted to. I have. And a lot of the work that I've done this year so far has been doing that. Um, the lead times on these things are quite long. So, um, but that's, that's a huge part of my business that I'm growing into, you know. And so I'd say January and February this year, I spent um, designing a few home decor collections for a company that they will be coming out next year. And I've been working like with the kids clothes company. And so those same thing, it's all like fall 2020 or some summer 2020. Everything's usually like on an 18 month lead time, which is interesting. Um, and so that's been really fun. Um, and I'm excited to do more of that because I, I love like when I make a piece of work, I, my brain just automatically goes to all those things that you mentioned you know, ceramics, um, towels and sheets and wallpaper, wallpaper. I really want to do wallpaper. <laughs> oh, totally. Wallpaper is super cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the things that we've really learned is that, you know, making a living designing quilting cotton, it's hard. I mean, there's a few people who can do it. And, but really, you know, even they have diversified if you really look, you know, sort of behind the curtain and, you know, there's a lot of ways to diversify. Um, one is to sort of become a pattern designer and a teacher and kind of go deep into quilting. And another way to do it is to be a surface pattern designer and sell um, your designs to multiple different industries and, 
you know, um, and kind of do it that diversify in that way, which is, yeah. And, and you're also selling fine art, right? Like you're selling original paintings and that's, um, Mm -hmm. and that's another big part of your business. And so, um, if you look at it, you've got sort of income coming in from a lot of different sources and you can start to see how piecing all of this together does actually create a viable business with a lot of different income sources. Yeah, when I talked to Andover, like we, um, that was one of the first things they talked about. Like when we had our conversation, is like, it's not. I mean, I think most people think like you know designing fabric or something is like a full time job, and it's like it's it's not. You know, it's just like one avenue for your artwork to go. Because I realized like okay, I had set the goal. I wanted to be a fabric designer, but really that was a little naive on my part. Like I didn't quite understand what we were just all talking about, you know? It's like, okay, so I need to think bigger than that then, or beyond, because I could, because I did not want to be a teacher or go into the sewing industry in other ways like that. I didn't want to do patterns or, you know, I just wanted to make art. So I was like, okay, how can I, I need to zoom out a little bit, you know, and figure out what do I really want, you know, even if it's scary or something, like I hadn't even considered myself an artist up until then. You know, I didn't use the, the label. I felt, um, you know, I, I don't know, that just, I, I didn't think that, you know, so it really was a big, brave jump for me to be like, okay, I'm going to start painting original work as well, because for me, I just realized there's not a ceiling to that. That's something that I can really grow and that that's exciting to me. And then also it can trickle down and it can become licensable work for me as well. And so it, that, that just seems pretty smart to me, you know, of how I use my time. I didn't want to be like, um, have an hourly job where I work for this amount of hours and then so I get that money. I wanted to be able to have some more royalty-based things where I'm working and that work can continue to earn money for myself years down the road even. Because licensing is very long lead, typically. Some of the stuff you'll get, like, you'll get an advance on a royalty, perhaps. But, you know, it's not a ton. But it's more about these royalties, they add up, like, when you get more going. You get more of a a larger portfolio going and so more interest in your work um, so that that really matters so those are long lead but if I had to only live on royalty it's like I'd be starving you know you get paid quarterly typically you know so it's like yeah April July and those months are great <laughs> but then the rest of the year it's like I like having these projects that I can work on like release new prints and then I can sell those are more short term where I can make money in the short term and that's that's nice well thank you for so much for sharing like a little peek at how you're making it work financially I think that's really it's really um I don't know I just think it's really generous of you because I mean I think you can see like it, it can work um there's definitely a lot of hustle involved because you've got wholesale 
you've got licensing, you've got originals, you know, you've got prints. So you've got all of these different pieces coming together and it's a lot to handle. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it kind of, you figured out a way to even it out mm -hmm. and make it really work for you, um, and build it into a business that can sustain you. And I think that that's like really admirable mm -hmm. and something that, um, a lot of people would love to be able to do. So yeah, <laughs> congratulations to you on that. And um, can you tell us about what's coming up for you? I know you have a new collection coming out with Andover shortly. So will you tell us about that? Sure. The newest collection is called Home. And it's a lot of quilting cottons. And then there's four linen cotton blends as well. And it's got more cats. I've always had a cat in each of my collections until now. Or some feline of some sort. And plants. So... It's about being a homebody and just that, that's awesome. Yeah, Yay, cats and plants. That's great. So people should go check that out. And I wanted to get to your first recommendation. Um, you wanted to recommend a book. It's called How to Make It. 25 Makers Share the Secrets to Building a Creative Business. So tell us about what you love about this book. And I, I have it in my hands right now. And it's, it's just such, I love a good creative book where you can pick it up with a cup of coffee flip to some pages and just get inspired and that's what this one is um for me it's um by Erin Austin Abbott um she had the shop Amelia for a lot of years and it's beautiful photography and they talk about like a day in the life of I always like reading those um and just it, some of its interview and there's some DIY to it um and a lot of studio peaks I love seeing people's studios in their how they organize spaces. I like looking at how they store papers and, and all of that. So it's just, it's really good. Yeah, I totally do too. And I'm always like, it's like those pages in magazines, right? Where you can like see um, like people's shelving and stuff. And I'm always like trying to look more closely and like see their, yeah, yeah like the little corners yeah. of their <laughs> spaces and like, yeah, yeah, like their drawers and like how they organize everything. Yeah. And, and, and I always want to be like, open those drawers. I want to see inside the drawers. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, yeah, open it up. I want to see like the messy corners and everything. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. So yeah, this sounds like yeah. a good book for sure. I want to see the messy stuff too. I want to see that like that corner that never gets in the shot, you know? <laughs> totally. Share it on Instagram stories, right? Like that's the perfect use of Instagram stories. It doesn't have to be so beautiful, you that's know? That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. I vow to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I encourage, I want to see, I want people to send me their, their, um, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Their storage stuff. Take a picture and send it to Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Send your send your messy drawer to Sarah on Instagram stories. She wants to see it. Okay, your second recommendation is for Airtable, which is um a tool that is used for making spreadsheets, but it's like really great. And I use Airtable myself too, and I have two Airtables. One is for craft corporation presidents and one is for quilting company presidents and I like these are working documents I use them all the time it has like contact information for all of these people and it's fantastic I just love Airtable well why I like it is because I've never considered myself someone who is spreadsheet mm -hmm. friendly like I just I yeah. never could get it um but Airtable 
I don't know, there's there's something, there's an ease to it, and it just makes sense. It's kind of like, you can add visuals to it, it's clean, um, it's just a, a spreadsheet app, and I use it on my desktop, but I also have it on my phone. So personally, I have like, um, all my paintings listed in there, it'll be by size, and I can have like the framing costs and all of that listed so that I have that on my phone as well and it's really saved me quite a few times and it's super handy and then I also use it for like when I'm um, doing like a pop-up shop like I do, do pop-up shops on like Instagram and like I'm selling a bunch of like seconds and whatnot um, through Instagram and I need to it's not going through my website so I need to keep all of that um, organized and and it's fantastic for that you can make little like check bark mocks boxes and um, it's just, it's just really user-friendly. And so coming from me, I feel like that's like super important because. Yeah. And like basically Excel, we're trying to like make it do things that it shouldn't be doing, you know, because Excel uh-huh. is basically like for math formulas, um, but you're making it try to do other stuff. And yes. Airtable is actually made to do all the other stuff. So um, yes. it's really user-friendly. I love it. Okay, your third recommendation is having a hobby that's creative but not actually related to your creative business. So tell us about your hobby. And boy, has this been eye-opening for me because, you know, I turned all my hobbies into my business. Yeah, you know, me yeah. As part of... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Oops. Did the same and thing. then you get burnt out. <laughs> um, or, or you can, you know, because I felt like, wait, where am I? Like, I, I need some time for myself because all what I found was I because I love my work and I love working. But that cannot also be considered my own personal downtime. You know, my my work day is not like, oh, my fun time. Exactly. So. I needed something just for me and and something I didn't have to excel at even like I that I could leave my like ego at the door I so I started taking pottery um at the beginning of the year and I go like one or two times a week at night and it's just so fantastic and it has brought me such joy and it's it's impacted my work even just that feeling that sense of discovery and newness it's kind of like when you fall in love with a new medium that's just so exciting but it's not directly related to um my art practice so it's been really great and I love that idea that there's no pressure and you can be a novice and you're not trying to be you know an expert and you're not trying to sell it it's just for you you know yeah yeah and I don't even share it really on Instagram. I will a little bit on my stories, but I'm actually really, I'm keeping it more for myself at this point. And that's beautiful. You know? And so it's for me, like I share a lot, you know, I share a lot of my work and everything, but for me not to be sharing every single time I make pieces and stuff, it's, it's nice. Yeah. That's it's nice awesome. To have that for yourself, you know, totally. That's really nice. Mm hmm. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walching Apps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, thank you so much, Abby. That was fun. And you've been listening to the Walching Apps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. 
Visit my blog, walshenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Brew Stitched Fabrics. Located online at brewstitch.etsy.com, that's B-R-E-W stitched.etsy.com, Brew Stitched Fabrics offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing and quilting projects. Now carrying the all-new Ruby Star Society collections. Check out the pre-order and new arrival sections for the best selection. And use that coupon code ABBY25, A-B-B-Y-2-5, for 25% off fabrics, notions, patterns, and gifts through July 31st, 2019. Most orders ship next day, and orders over $70 ship for free in the United States. Thank you so much, Brew Stitched. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.